0: Hello everyone, and thank you for joining me for another restful episode of True Scary Stories to help you fall asleep. Today, we're going to be listening to True Scary Deep Ocean Stories, with relaxing waves and ocean sounds in the background. I hope you enjoy them. So without further ado, lay back, relax, and enjoy these true scary stories. United States Merchant Marine here. Sailing four years as of four days ago. I witnessed an earthquake while on board. First off, Easily the scariest moment of my professional career so far. In transit along the west coast of Mexico just after lunch. Just working through my noon duties. Just my A.B. and myself on the bridge. All of a sudden, the ship starts shaking. Slightly at first. Gradually building into a serious, violent, pounding shake. The best way that I can describe it is that it was similar to airplane turbulence just slower and harder shaking of course I'm shook it only lasted about 30 seconds but it was terrifying my AB and I are on both bridge wings looking to see if there's something in the water that we could have hit maybe a submerged container I'm verifying our position in every way possible making sure that we didn't just sniff the bottom somehow being the navigator on board I'd be in deep stuff if this were true better dust off the old resume captain comes up to the bridge what in the heck is going on engine room gets called they start checking the void spaces machinery spaces and bilges chief mate comes to the bridge gets the bosun and the deck gang to start sounding all the tanks phones and radios are going off left and right everyone is asking me what happened and i've got no answers for them After about 15 minutes, things start to settle down, and nothing seems to be out of the ordinary. Captain heads down to his office to call the office, and presumably sign me off the ship. He comes up about 20 minutes later with a printout from the internet. About 15 miles away from us, there was a 7.5 magnitude earthquake under the surface. The amount of relief that washed over my entire body was almost orgasmic. Nothing seemed to be damaged in the aftermath. We all had a good laugh about it later. The captain said that I was white as a ghost when he came up. Giant spears plunging in and out of the sea are the scariest things that I've ever witnessed at sea. In the Gulf of Alaska, I've seen some stuff, but one of the most terror-inspiring things that I've seen are what can happen with some of the loose logs from the logging trade. Sometimes when a big log gets loose from a raft, it becomes partially waterlogged and floats small and up. So you have this four-foot diameter telephone pole in the sea, sticking up 40 feet in the air. No biggie. It shows up on the radar and is easy to spot. Now get that pole 20 years of floating around or so. It, it rots in such a way that it becomes filed to a point by winds and waves and looks quite menacing. Now put it in a gale with 25-foot waves, 50 feet through to peak, and it becomes a towering spike of death that shoots up from the sea every 15 to 20 minutes. Out of nowhere, 60 feet into the air, only to plunge down into the dark depths waiting to skewer some unsuspecting boat in a few minutes when it thrusts out of the ocean again. It is a genuinely terrifying sight, rare, but not so rare that I haven't seen two in one season. While based in Gibraltar, doing my sailing qualifications, we would regularly sail over to Northern Africa and back to clock up miles. I was on a rotating shift as captain on a trip to Melilla with one teacher and four other students. I had been seeing empty water bottles bobbing in waves for some time. Although trash in the Mediterranean is unfortunately common, this had caught my attention. When just as dinner was being served, I noticed something on the horizon directly in front of us. As we got closer, it became apparent that it was a life raft full of immigrants trying to get to Europe. With no shelter and no means of propulsion, it was about 40 people just bobbing around in the sea miles from any coastline. A very serious group discussion began to take place about what action we were about to undertake. We were six people on a 38-foot sailing boat, days from the closest port, with limited resources and no radio contact at the time. Do we change course and try to make radio contact and raise the alarm? Do we make contact with the group and provide what assist we can until help arrives? Do we attempt to tow them back into a port on the African coast, the closest land, and risk guaranteed arrest upon arrival? We closed to about two miles, and I dropped the sails and began motoring to stay within close visual contact with the group, as we continued to discuss what to do next. I was strongly arguing to make contact, and tow the raft back to port, as you never leave someone at sea. Every sailor you know, render all possible help when it's safe to do so. Consequences can be dealt with after everybody's safely ashore. We were close enough to see the fear and doubt on each other's face when out of the haze came a 70-foot Spanish Coast Guard vessel to save the day. They pulled up alongside of the life raft, dropped a net over the side, and had everybody climb aboard. Although we had been trying to make radio contact and send out emergency transmissions constantly in both English and Spanish, the Coast Guard never acknowledged us either before or after they arrived on the scene. Once everybody was aboard, they promptly turned back towards Spain and powered off into the haze from which they'd come. We dodged an international incident that day, and I will never forget how lucky I am to be born in the country that I'm from. I was on a small sailboat about a hundred miles offshore. I hadn't gotten any sleep in about 60 hours because the swell was so bad. And I don't think anyone else had either. So the captain had us doubled up on watches so no one worked alone. I came on watch just after sunset and relieved the skipper who went below to heat up dinner. The next thing I know, there's a commotion below and the skipper sets the stove on the companionway and flames pouring out of the wrong part of it. I looked at the fire. What a weird stove, I thought. It didn't do that yesterday. I looked at the helmsman. He looked at the fire. Then looked at me as if to say, is that real? We both looked back at the flaming stove. Stoves aren't supposed to do that, I thought. Then we looked at each other again for a moment. Then, back at the flaming stove. I watched it for a moment more. It's kind of pretty, I thought. Then the skipper stuck his head back out the hatch and bellowed. Well, get it off the boat already. I suddenly snapped out of my daze, picked the stove up by the end that wasn't on a fire, and threw it overboard. It sailed end over end through the air, trailing flames until it landed with a splash, and for a few moments bobbed and burned like a torch on the open sea. And then... With one last belch of flame, it sank. I looked at the helmsman, then at the owner, and the gravity of the situation sank in. We had just escaped a major galley fire by the narrowest of hairs, and we were so doggone tired that we hadn't even realized it in the moment. There was no damage, somehow. There were no injuries. All we lost was the jettison stove. There weren't even any scorch marks on the galley. And yet, if things had gone ever so slightly differently, we were minutes away from having to launch the life raft and abandon ship In the dark. As it was, we got out the backup jet boil, finished heating up dinner, and ate. I finally got some sleep four days later when we made it to port. Last year, I was at the beach with my parents. My dad and I go scuba diving a lot, and I go snorkeling alone quite often. This day, a storm was coming over the horizon, but it was still far away, and I figured that I have enough time to go snorkeling for a little bit. And I'm snorkeling down about half a kilometer down our extremely rocky beach. Depth, six meters. If a wave threw me on the rocks, nobody would find me, nor would I stay alive. That's how sharp they were. And suddenly the wind starts to pick up. I'm oblivious. Suddenly it goes dark. The storm clouds finally came about, and I realize that I'm in a pickle. I start swimming back, slowly snorkeling, when suddenly I swallowed huge amounts of water through my snorkel. I pull my head out of the water, and I see nothing but waves. Huge waves. I can't see the shore. In the end, I got back to shore safely before the storm hit. If I stayed in a little longer, I would have been lost at sea. My brother and I, as well as a couple of our friends, we were sailing on two-people-sail-driven catamarans in the Gulf of Morbihan, off the coast of Brittany, France. He was sailing with his friend, and I was sailing with mine. It was a clear, sunny morning, a bit of a rare event in the region, which is usually rainy and foggy. We were not far off from each other, maybe 20 to 25 meters away, catching the winds, making some good speed and distance. At some points, I turned behind me to look at their catamaran, my brother and his friend Pierre, and it's as if I had seen it all happen right before my eyes. My brother was half crouched, maneuvering the ropes on the sail, and had stood up just a little to take in the view. Right behind him was the huge side mast which was swinging fast towards him. I could not let out a word out of my mouth as I watched him get hit in the bag and flung overboard the speed that we were going at it's almost as if he became a dot in the sea too quick there was little time for me to maneuver the catamaran back to him and Pierre was pretty much manning his alone and unable to get a decent grasp on it all as he was a beginner I jumped up I was steering out back on my catamaran away from flying sails and motioned this nearby speedboat as I screamed for help pointing them towards the direction of my brother, whose head we could see in the distance bobbing up and down. The speedboat just slid effortlessly fast near him and rescued him. Those few seconds, maybe a minute or two, were very scary. But luckily, he was wearing a life jacket, and our elementary school teachers had hired a really good sailing instructor company for our sea trip to Brittany, at the tender age of eight to nine years old. Sorry for the bait and switch. It felt too good to pass up the opportunity of telling a scary sailboat story from the perspective of a child. It was way less scary than it looked, really, but still pretty adventurous. We were really far from shore. Two friends and I took a trip to Indonesia a few years ago. We booked a four-day boat trip to the Komodo Islands and discovered when we got to the harbor that our vessel was a bit smaller than we'd expected. There were six of us on the trip and a handful of crew, including a kid, literally, on work experience. On the second night of the trip, after two days of sun and calm seas, we sat and watched the stars as the waves slowly grew until it clouded over and the sea was too rough to be outside. The work experience kid was seasick and he went to sleep in a blanket indoors on the deck of the boat. We all eventually went to sleep. I slept fitfully for an hour before waking up to a howling gale, our tiny boat being tossed about like a toy in the storm. We were sleeping on a raised section so I climbed down to find one of my friends sat shaking on the deck. As he watched the work experience kid slide back and forth, wrapped in his blanket. I looked out the portholes to see the sea one second and the black sky the next. I tried to reassure him that it was nothing major, whilst absolutely terrified and wondering what I would do if we capsized. This was when we noticed that a couple of the crew members had appeared and we were now kneeling on their prayer mats, praying. Obviously, this freaked us out. My friend began to shout and scream, in no uncertain terms, telling me that he didn't want to die at sea. I pictured a newspaper story detailing the deaths of six travelers. I might have said a prayer at some point, though I'm usually not one for that. A fellow traveler came down and passed us each a biscuit, and I found this calm and reassuring. However he was still wondering about whether we were about to drown at sea. We'd already heard that he worked on boats and told us he'd been on much heavier seas and that it would be fine. But he still appeared somewhat shaken. The storm did not abate, but as we had as of yet not been thrown into the sea, we decided to go back to bed. Eventually, I managed to fall into a restless sleep. We woke up the next morning to the gentle murmur of small waves, and we go back outside to find ourselves moored in a beautiful lagoon with a white beach on a calm sea. And that is the story of how we nearly drowned. When I was about six, I went for a walk along the beach with my mom and sister who was one year old at the time. My mom was pushing my sister in her buggy. I was cavorting and gathering shells. All was good. We were near a lighthouse, which had a sunken tidal path to it. And long story short, my mom had misread the tide times that morning and hadn't read the sign at the top of the path. About halfway through our walk back from the lighthouse, the sea suddenly becomes way closer than it should be, I see nothing wrong with this, being six, but my mom immediately and justifiably freaks out. She rushes along the path with the buggy, yelling for me to keep up, but I got distracted trying to gather my bucket of shells. Now, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I ended up on my own at the bottom of a really steep slope, with the water literally at my heels, and my mom shouting and crying from the top of it for me to run up. I was terrified and absolutely frozen and I remember distinctly just thinking that I was going to die. It was getting dim. Nobody was around and my mom later told me that she desperately was trying to find some way to get back down the slope to get me without putting my baby sister in danger as well. I eventually snapped out of it and climbed the slope really slowly using these smooth metal things that were laid into the path as handholds. By the time I got to the top, The path was completely covered by water. I was fine but shaken. And my mom never took us down that way again without triple checking the tide times. Gave me a lasting, healthy respect for the ocean. Tides can come in quicker than you ever expect. Don't play around with them. I used to live in Jamaica and loved being very close to the ocean. However, one night I had a strange experience. I was listening to some music with a friend on the veranda of my villa that backed up directly to the sea. I have a habit of staring into the ocean at night, as it's terrifying yet intriguing. I'm doing my usual thing, looking into the sea, and I think that I see movement. For a split second I thought that it was a fisherman coming in late but I immediately ruled that out due to a lack of engine noise. The object rose out of the water with grace and elegance. The part that I could see out of the water was only about one foot or less in height and about as long as a mid-sized sedan. It had an arc to it, and that led me to begin thinking about a large marine animal such as a whale. I don't think that this could have been possible as the object was about 40 feet from a solid coral cliff face maybe it was a drug sub? Jamaica is often used as a stopover for the drug cartels from Colombia to refuel, but I think that a surfacing sub would still make noise, and that still doesn't explain the proximity to the land. It sunk back into the inky blackness, never to be seen again. The silence of it all is what shocked me. I still shudder to this day at the thought of what I saw. My wife grew up in Miami. When we were dating 20 years ago, her folks took us to the Bahamas on their 32-foot boat. It was a lovely trip. They decided to do a midnight crossing to come home, as we'd lost one engine and the seas would be calm. All was well for the first couple of hours, so her dad went to catch some sleep and let the mom drive. It was the open water, around 2 a.m., when we saw a single white light in the far distance ahead of us. 20 minutes. 30. 40. The small white light was getting larger. Closer. No doubt it was another boat, but its angle of approach wasn't clear in the pitch dark. My then-girlfriend and her mother began discussing the lights on the approaching boat. Red and green lights on either side of a vessel are an indicator of its approaching or departing. Clearly it was approaching, but they couldn't see the colored lights yet to know which way to steer to safety. Naturally, they began arguing, and me, being raised in Atlanta, nowhere near maritime activity, I couldn't offer a single bit of help. Based on her perspective of the other ship's lights, the mother made the decision of which way to go. She cut the engine down and made a hard right away from the oncoming boat. The dad had felt the deceleration of the boat and came up to investigate. As soon as he arrived, so did the other boat. As it did, we all quickly realized that not only had the mom misinterpreted the direction of the other boat, we also learned that it wasn't actually a boat. No, the mom had slowed down to a crawl and had steered us directly into the path of an oncoming oil freighter. "'What are you doing?' the dad asked, more calmly than one would expect. "'Speed up. Speed up.' He reached forward and slammed the throttle to full. The 32-foot boat lurched ahead speeding as fast as it could on its one engine as it cut directly in front of the other freighter. A quick fact about freighters. These things are a few thousand metric tons of dead weight and take about a mile to stop. We never had any communication with the captain or crew of the freighter, but we assumed that they saw us and didn't want to crush our tiny boat. Even so, they couldn't have stopped in time anyway. We passed probably 50 yards in front of the freighter, That seems like a lot of distance when you think about half of a football field. But it isn't much at all in the open ocean when the passing of a massive freighter could suck a boat our size into and under itself if we became caught in its event horizon-like wave. As we moved beyond its path and it passed behind us, I craned my neck up and up and up. I stared in awe at its huge black hull towering over us. It was terrifying and surreal, and I never want to be that close to a freighter in the water ever again. I'm not a sailor, I've spent more time out at sea than most because of my fondness for most boat-related stuff. Even though I enjoy being out there, it always has kind of an eerie feel. I live in the south of Norway, and the North Sea is really dark. Even on the most beautiful days, you can max see a meter down. Well, this one time I was out by myself, in a pretty small, about 14-foot-long boat, It was one of these not sunny but still adequate weather days. Well, long story short, I lost control over the engine, and my boat spun around, landing me just underneath it. As I saw mentioned in another post, I have never felt as vulnerable as just then, floating at the top of a big nothing. You know there is nothing for possibly hundreds of feet underneath you. Probably the worst part of it is when you have to duck under the boat to get up and away. You just stare down into the abyss. You can choose not to look, but then it's almost worse. There are no big sharks or anything of that nature here. But still, you just feel like there's something down there, down in the dark. I managed to keep calm, and after about a half an hour someone must have spotted me, because I was soon picked up by the local SAR boat. I still don't like to look down into the water, but I will continue enjoying the sea as long as I am above the surface. Not sure if this is considered creepy, but it's kind of unnerving. I was active-duty Navy for four years based on a destroyer out of Japan. I'd say that I'd seen it all, but this story really stuck with me. We were putting around when we get a distress call from a cargo ship about 100 miles or so away. It wasn't them in distress, but another boat, and they were relaying it out to get some help. We responded, met up with the cargo ship en route. There was something cool about that a United States Navy warship meeting up with a cargo vessel from, like, Australia or something to rescue some Thai fishermen. By the time we got on scene, another ship was there and was doing circles looking for the crew. We found the fishing vessel about 90% submerged underwater. Only the bow was still above the water. Unfortunately, we were not able to find any crew members. We found a few empty flotation devices but no crew. We stayed on scene, looking around for a few hours, even sending out our choppers. Ultimately, we had to call it, as we had another prior mission to take care of. We left the cargo ship and the other ship to look out, but really, I don't think either of them found anything. To this day, I'm not sure what caused that fishing boat to sink. And it's sad to see the boat, but no crew. I was serving on a Coast Guard vessel in the Barents Sea in the late 1990s. This is an area very rich with fish. So a big part of the Coast Guard's job in the area was policing, rescuing, and inspecting fishing ships. The closest coastline to the Barents Sea is the Russian Kola Peninsula. So the majority of the fishing vessels there were Russian. One day while patrolling the area, we noticed a fishing ship moving in a strange pattern. Usually, the travelers would move like a herd, following the fish stems, but this vessel would keep moving in and out of the fleet and often moving right up next to other ships in the fleet before moving out again. This seemed to us as a very strange behavior for a fishing ship, so we decided to send out a boarding party to inspect the vessel. I was on this party. When we came aboard, To our surprise, there were no fishing equipment on deck, and it didn't seem like a boat had been trawling at all. Still, we had to do a proper inspection and see what was in the cargo. When we moved inside the boat, we noticed that a lot of the lights inside the boat were changed to red, and there was a smell of old booze and sweat instead of the normal smell of fish. We came into the cargo hold. It was even stranger when the cargo also turned out to be empty so they were not supplying the fleet or taking their catch to shore on our way up to the bridge we suddenly figured out what was going on one of the crew luggers had no door and the bunk beds inside were filled with scantily dressed russian girls it turned out it was a floating brothel servicing the fishermen out at sea this might not seem much to some but to an 18 year old norwegian it made me realize how good my life was compared to these people living right across the border. Especially considering both the girls and the fishermen were around my own age. I also have another story. This one's not mine, but my father, who was a commercial sailor from the 50s to the 70s. He was on a tanker crossing the Pacific Ocean. They were far from land and kind of in the middle of the ocean. The Pacific Ocean is big, very big so the chances of meeting other vessels out there is slim to none. Still, one night when it was completely dark, dots started to appear on the radar. This was in the 60s, so radar technology wasn't even close to what it is today. So my father went out to the bridge wing to see if he could see any lanterns. Nothing. When he came back to the bridge, he saw that the radar was now completely covered with dots all around the ship big dots too, but still not a single lantern in sight. My father thought it must be a malfunction or some weather causing it. Still, the water was flat and the weather seemed calm, so he made a call on the radio for any ships in the area. Immediately, he got an answer from an American voice. It turned out that he had managed to cross paths with an American carrier group on maneuver in the middle of the Pacific. He then requested if they could turn their lights on so he could maneuver safely out of their fleet. Suddenly, within a few seconds as he described it, it was like a whole city materialized out of the darkness around them. From horizon to horizon, there were huge carriers, supply ships, escort ships, and whatnot. The contrast of being all alone in the vast ocean for days to this was very strange. He managed to maneuver the tanker through the myriad of ships, and when he came to the outskirts of the fleet, suddenly, as soon as they appeared, the whole fleet went completely dark again, gone. Once again, the ship was totally alone in the vast dark ocean. He described the encounter as the strangest feeling that he experienced during 30 years at sea. I'm not a sailor, and I wasn't on the ocean, but I was on a cliff overlooking the water. It was California, and I was traveling with my family for a road trip, so we decided to stop and see the views. The parking area was blocked off from the view by trees, and we had to take a trail to see the views. Me and my brother, ages 19 and 15, decided that we would run all of the way there. But my brother is faster than me so i lost sight of him on this extremely steep downward slope i came to a fork in the trail but i didn't know which was the one that he went down and i didn't receive an answer when i called his name i went right and followed the trail all the way down to a cliff at least 50 meters above the water still calling his name and he still never responded looking down there were jagged rocks in the water below so falling was guaranteed death. The wind picked up, and I had to actually press myself against the rocks to stop it from pushing me over the edge. It continued to get faster and faster, but then suddenly stopped. I don't know how, but the air went completely still, and I heard a faint voice of a little girl, maybe around five or six, crying and screaming like she was terrified of something. There was nobody else around me, and there were no other voices that I heard. So I started calling for the little girl. She was clearly starting to call out, Mama, Mama, I'm scared. And I followed her voice to this slightly jutting shelf that started to lead down the cliff. The rocks were covered in sand and were slightly damp, so I knew that it was dangerous, but I continued on anyways. Maybe about six meters down, There was a sharp 90 degree turn against the cliff that I couldn't see around, but my instincts were telling me to get back. I slowed down, but still inched my way to this turn, and looking over was a perfectly vertical drop into the ocean below. Even if I took even one more normal sized step, my foot would have stepped right over. I still looked around to see if there really was a little girl somewhere, but there was nowhere that she could have hidden. So I went back up. I could still hear her voice, and it sounded so close to me, but I could not see her. My brother eventually caught up with me, since he went down the left trail, and the voice stopped. Upon asking him if he saw anyone or heard the voice, he just shook his head. Creepiest experience I've ever had with the ocean. My mother and great-grandfather were in the shallow end, just enjoying the ocean, when all of a sudden both of them just fell abruptly. No waves. Then I just noticed a whole lot of random people fall too, who were near them. They all had trouble getting up, and my mother described it as constantly trying to get up, only to be forced down like a magnet. Her main concern was my great-grandfather, of course, as he's extremely old and frail, So, she eventually got up and helped him up as well, as all the other random people. No one was drowning, and no one was panicked. But then my dad quickly claimed that we just encountered a rip current, and that thank God it wasn't serious enough to where they got pulled all the way to the deep ocean. Rip currents are terrifying once you really look into them, and thank God that day was nothing severe. This... And sea creatures are the main reasons why I don't like going to the beach, as in being fearful. When you're stuck in a rip current, do not, and I mean do not swim against the current, as in swimming straight towards the beach. You're going to get nowhere and tire yourself out. Be calm and don't panic, because if you panic, then you forget that you know how to swim. And don't think about sea creatures either and don't even care if water keeps going on over your face or if you swallow water or if you occasionally can't breathe. Just swim, 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 swim to the side or diagonally. And I mean do it for a good while, not quickly. Eventually, you'll be out of the current and back on shore. I was once at the beach with my brother and cousins just having a grand old time swimming and letting the waves crash against our bodies I've never been physically gifted but I'm a good swimmer so when we all decided to start swimming farther away from shore I was pretty confident of being able to get back and so we went on the shoreline becoming a mere line of sand in our eyes and the rest of our kin the size of ants before we realized it the sun was beginning to set and in what seemed like only a few minutes the waves which were already very tall to begin with easily tripled the size of 15 year old me. When that happened and our mothers became aware they hurried ahead of us to go back to shore and funnily enough nobody hesitated. The task was easy for my brother and cousins all of whom were taller and older than me so I tried to follow them I swam and I swam and I swam. No matter how much I seemed to swim, I was no closer to the shoreline than I was before. In fact, it wasn't long until I realized that I was actually further away. The waves had begun pulling my body backwards into the ocean without me being aware of it. I could even hear the lifeguards whistle telling others to get out of the water. That's when I felt that particular heartbeat in my chest the one that you feel when you're about to ask the girl you like out, the kind that you feel when you're going to reveal to your parents the bad grades that you got at school, the kind of heartbeat that indicates fear. As soon as I felt it, I realized that I was in big trouble. I was going to become another one of those drowned kids at the beach, Tales mothers told their sons as a way to keep them close to shore. My brother was completely out of sight, along with my cousins, and I was still there trapped by waves that constantly grabbed my feet and pulled me deeper into the ocean. I was panicking. I wasn't sure when or if my family would go to the lifeguard for help. Against uncertainty, I decided that I had no choice but to keep trying to swim back to shore. And that I did. It was hard. Very hard. And if you ask me how I did it today, I'd tell you that I'm just clever. Or maybe the problem wasn't as bad as I had believed it to be. Once I was able to calm down again, I knew that all those tales of drowned people always went bad when they started panicking. So I took a deep breath and began doing this little technique. Whenever the waves pulled, I'd swim slowly, trying to maintain the ground that I was in. And when the wave pushed, I gave it all. I swam as fast as I could, thinking and knowing. To this day... I have no idea if I was right, that the momentum of the waves plus my efforts would help me reach the shore again. Soon, I could feel motes of sand running across my toes again. Only a few seconds had passed before my chest laid on a thin sheet of sand, and a few more passed before I could walk on it. It felt like pure bliss. I felt like aquatic bear grills for being able to come up with such a solution, and was eager to tell my mom and cousins about it. Soon, of course, reality hit me again. I was received with a slap by my mother, who continued to rant on about how she had told me not to go so far away, how they were about to call the lifeguards, and how dumb I had been to disobey. My kin laughed at me as my mother yelled, and I soon learned that I had only spent five to ten minutes at sea. So yeah, it didn't last as long as it felt, but still, a scary experience nonetheless. Quite a few years ago, there was a tropical storm coming up the coast. It didn't make landfall, but it was close enough that we got the rain, wind, and huge waves... Onshore winds were probably around 25 to 35 miles per hour, and waves were hitting 8 to 10 feet. It was so insanely choppy. Never in my life have I seen the waves that big and close together. We call them high and tight. My brothers and I went to go surf, but it was too choppy, so we grabbed our bodyboards and fins and paddled out. Five minutes in, my one brother got out, since he doesn't live on the coast and isn't the strongest swimmer. He also didn't have fins, so he watched from the beach. My other brother is on the beach patrol, but he was off that day, so the on-duty lifeguards pulled everyone out because of the rip currents and waves, but let us go in. We took a few waves, having a great time, but starting to get worn out from constantly diving and fighting the waves, trying to get back out. I dove under a wave, and as soon as I came up, I saw the biggest wave of my life cresting. I knew it was about to come down hard on my head, so, like an idiot, I ditched my board and swam to the bottom. Not the best idea to ditch something that floats, but I had fins, and probably wouldn't have been able to hold on anyway. The wave slammed me into the sand. I rolled head over heels for what felt like an eternity. Just as I got my bearings and started to come up to the surface, I heard another wave pound right above me, and the same thing happened. I tried coming up. Another wave. Finally, I could tell that I was getting close to the beach because I was being dragged across the sand. I was able to hold on to the sand while the water went out and was able to finally breathe and stand up. I called it a day after that. My back was bleeding from being dragged across the sand, and my legs felt like jelly. It probably wasn't more than 30 seconds, but being underwater and not being able to come up for even that short amount of time is insanely scary. I was on a snorkel cruise thing in Hawaii we were following this rare seal and got far away from the boat so I took one last big breath and swam as far down as I could just to set and look around one last time and really just take in the experience as I'm down there I see this big glob out in the distance then slowly it becomes larger and larger and after it breaks through that blue wall I realize it's a shark I was frozen with fear. It was like the scene in Jaws when you can barely make out what it is. Then it slowly becomes a reality. I panicked and went to the top, looked for my wife, but everyone looks the same with goggles and splashing around. So I just sat there and watched it as it seamlessly cruised around doing shark stuff. I never felt so vulnerable. I finally find my wife and tell her that there's a shark nearby, and in a hippie, free-spirit voice says, Yeah, it's the ocean, bro. That's going to happen. Which calmed me down a bit. But I went back to the ship terrified and looking all around me the entire time. One time for New Year's Eve, my family went on a boating trip to Tangaluma Island, Australia, from the 30th to the 1st. Unfortunately, we decided not to check the weather as it had been beautiful all week. As we went up the coast in our boat, a 45-foot Rivera, we almost got stuck in a couple of sandbanks. We weren't the most experienced, but my parents were trying their very best and it wasn't too bad. We reached Tangaluma in the late afternoon and decided to save the beach for tomorrow and we just swam around the boat, because us Aussie kids are fearless, apparently. Basically, we just enjoyed our little holiday, sunburns and all. Skip to the first. It started pouring rain the night before, keeping my dad up every few hours to monitor the anchors and position of the boat. I slept through the night and woke up midway through my parents trying to escape the storm. I woke up to the roof of the cabin falling on my head as we fell down one of the troughs, the deepest part of the wave. At one point, we were submerged by a wave, and my dad wasn't sure that we were going to make it out. Not something you want to hear to say the least. At this point, the waves were 1.5 meters tall, and the troughs were roughly the same. In other words, really bloody big. My dad managed to swing the boat around, which might have capsized us if it hit the side of the boat and we rode the waves back to the island. We made it back and quickly ran out of supplies, most importantly, water. But after some deliberation with the security guards, we were allowed to enter the resort on the island to buy water, food, and seasickness tablets. Originally, we weren't allowed because we hadn't booked a room, which is understandable, I suppose. Once the weather changed for the better, we headed home. We learned that it was a part of a cyclone, I think that's the right term, Uh, apologies if I'm wrong, from the news, and that many people weren't as lucky in escaping the storm. To be honest, I'm just happy to be alive after that experience. I was scuba diving at the Belize barrier reef on a mission trip. My mom was one of the chaperones for everyone and insisted that I wear a life jacket for my safety. I was 16 at the time and had taken swimming lessons. One stop was really weird because two different bodies of water were meeting but not mixing. We swam way far away from the boat and close to the line where the water met. The current here was rather strong and due to the life jacket, my feet were just above the ocean floor. Therefore, I kept being pulled along by the ocean currents and would keep having to right myself. After having this happen multiple times while talking to my friends, I felt burning all along my back and legs. I spun around on instinct and was then pushed by the current into fire coral, which I had just felt on my back. It was a faded orange look, and it just scratched me, However, as I looked at the scratches, little spots of red began to appear, get bigger, and eventually fill up the entire wound area, and I was bleeding. We were all like, oh, this isn't an emergency, right? Don't we need to go back? Then, approximately 100 to 140 feet away, we saw about a dozen or so of what were unmistakably shark fins appearing out of the water on the other side of the ocean heading towards us. It took me about a second to remember all the facts about sharks that I had read as a child, about sharks being able to smell blood in the water from far away. I booked it as fast as I could swim, which was slowed down because of the life jacket. My friends soon followed. Thankfully, none of the nurse sharks we played with earlier were nearby. When we got on board, the guide told us all of those were hammerheads, and he didn't want to tell us before, because he thought that we'd be too scared to go. But they're harmless, unless you're bleeding. The guide then rubbed rubbing alcohol on the fire coral venom wounds, which hurt worse than the initial wound. I went swimming down in the gulf. That stretch had three sandbars just offshore with the water getting deeper, waves getting higher and current getting stronger the further out you went. I was with a guy on our first real outing together. He had never really been swimming in the gulf before and I wanted to show him the sandbars. We swam out to the first going from maybe six foot to standing in water at our knees. He looked out and saw the second sandbar maybe some hundred foot away, and asked about it. Well, I've never been out that far, but sure, let's do it. We get out there easily enough. Water was quite deep as soon as we stepped off the first sandbar, enough that I couldn't dive to the bottom. The water at the sandbar is rough, and we almost get pulled off a couple of times. He sees the third, and is all gung-ho about going out. Nah, there ain't nothing after that but open water. Let's head back, I say. I didn't tell him, but I was getting pretty concerned. We were a long ways from the beach at this point, and the undercurrent was super cold and super strong. I casually mentioned to him that we need to make sure that we swim at the surface. We start swimming back. Now, I'm a decent swimmer, and I'm used to open water swimming. He wasn't, and had never been. We're pulling forward. The current is trying to pull us back. I'm struggling to make headway, and he's falling behind me. We're both getting tired, but if we pause, we'll get pulled back to the second sandbar in under a minute. I stop briefly to pull back to him and ask if he's okay. He nods. At this point, I realize that there's a good chance that he may not make it, which means that I have to leave him on the second sandbar, hope that he doesn't get swept off, or if he does, he gets caught by the third sandbar, and head into shore myself to get a rescue. I also realized that if I go back to the sandbar with him to let him know what's going on, I may not have the strength to get back to shore. Thankfully, adrenaline for him kicked in, as well as a strong sense of not wanting to appear weak to me, and he reached the first sandbar about 30 seconds after me. We caught our breaths and made it back to shore pretty easily after that. That was the first and only time I've actually been afraid of or uncomfortable out in the Gulf, or the connected bays. And I've been in water with sharks and gators, and even gone down a deep hole while wearing waders once. The power of the water, not even too far off of shore, really starkly showed the smallness of our bodies. My family has always gone to the same vacation spot in the summer, since my dad was in the fifth grade, and it's the shark bite capital of the world. Not many fatalities though, luckily. Anyway, when I was younger, I would surf a lot when I was there, and one time, me and my friend were out waiting for a wave, and we both saw a shadow swim under us, and we immediately knew that it was a shark. It's pretty typical to see sharks there. But mostly just black tips. So we just caught the next wave and rode it in and went back out after. Then another surfer informed us that it was a bull shark, which definitely makes it a little more scary than if it was just a black tip. Also, another time that we were there, we went on a boat on the river. We stopped somewhere near little islands and decided to walk slash swim from one island to another. This river area has a lot of marine life that is not afraid to come up to people. So I was a little timid to swim across, but everyone else was doing it, so whatever. Well, everything went just fine, and we got back on the boat. But an hour later, someone had caught a 400-pound bull shark right where we had walked and swam. I will never swim in that river again.